For almost 40 years, an incredible phenomena has been occurring in a remote village of Bosnia-Herzegovina, which may contain secrets that could change life as we know it. After hearing of a number of miracles from first-hand witnesses, I wonder if this could be a giant wake-up call for humanity. Considering once these secrets are revealed, it could be too late, this just might be worth taking a look into. I'm Shannon Gieselman, and since the day I discovered this place called Medjugorje, I haven't been able to take my mind off of it. Why doesn't everyone know about it? Well, join me as I bring real-life stories of miracles of Medjugorje and why this is a modern-day case for grace. Welcome back to Miracles of Medjugorje, A Case for Grace. I'm Shannon Gieselman, and with me here today is Noreen Conlon, all the way from Northern Ireland. Noreen is one of eight children and author to several books. Um, she's had some extraordinary, ordinary experiences, as she's entitled one of her books. I welcome her here today um, to have her describe her experiences in Medjugorje and how it's been an integral role in her faith. And Noreen, welcome. Thank you for being here. I, uh, I just you. wanted, I just had a, a new thing that I wanted to add into my podcast. Uh, the guest that I had on before you, his name is Jose de Santiago, and he has his own visitations by our Blessed Mother. And she, he said that her message to me was that she would like to have me open up my podcast in prayer. So as a new addition, I'll be opening. So if you will join me in prayer in the name of the father, the son, and the Holy spirit, father, we're so grateful to have Noreen here to use this platform to share her testimony. We ask that you open the hearts of those listening and bring awareness of your reality through the intercession of your most holy mother in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Well, okay, Noreen, so we'll begin, if you could just help us uh, understand how you even first began to hear about Medjugorje. I first heard about Medjugorje through my sister, Maria, and uh, she had come to the family home where my mother and father were still alive at the time, and she explained about Our Lady appearing in Medjugorje, and I was just in total awe. I was thinking, oh, I would love to go to a place where Our Lady's appearing. So she said to me, look, on the next trip, I think it was back in 1986 was when the first time that I went with her to Medjugorje and that was my first you know real experience of Medjugorje for it was a real pilgrimage and um, part of that pilgrimage was to climb up the mountain and um, my first instinct in the big big huge mountain it takes you about three hours to go up and down in total and my first instinct was to take my shoes off and go up in my bare feet uh, because I wanted to do this for penance mm -hmm. I felt you know I said Lord I want to um I'm getting a wee bit upset, but um, I'd never experienced anything like it. It was just this beautiful peace, this feeling that I never had before. And I was 31 years of age, and um, as I walked up the mountain in my bare feet, I really felt this great grace that had sort of, you know, come over me. And I, I was compelled to get to the very top, and I just kept saying, "Lord, I'm I'm offering this up for all my sins in the past." And I want to be cleansed. And um, when I got to the top, it was a great, great achievement. And then when I came back down again in my bare feet, um, people were going up. And as they passed me, they were like, oh, my God, you're walking that mountain in your bare feet. 
And I went, no, but this is for me. I, I in, inwardly I thought, no, this is my personal journey that I have to do for myself. You know, I'm not, I'm not looking praise. I'm, I'm just doing it because I want to have a better relationship with Our Lady and with Jesus. And so that was why I was doing it. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I did that several times up and down the mountain in my you birth feet. Did. And how did it feel? Did you experience any pain, get blisters or anything like that? Or um, not, no, not really. Um, it's quite sore because there is quite a lot of stones, you know, and, and you know, it, it is, it is quite difficult. You just have to sort of grapple your way through the stones and find a nice one that's nice and flat that you can put your foot on, <laughs> you know. Um, but it, it, it felt powerful and, and it, it, it really, you know, I, I just I offered it all up to God at the time, you know, so it was a sacrifice, but... And I've also heard that she gives you the strength that you need to get up. Some people who are physically disabled or who have um, have physical limitations, when they try to go up to Cross Mountain, they are given this extra strength that they didn't know that they had. There was a great strength there. And, and I mean, at one stage, I felt, you know, when I was coming back down again, I felt the presence of Jesus sitting on one of the stones, you know, this big, huge stone. And I, I felt a sense that it was Jesus sitting on the stone. And it was like, you know, he was saying to me, come and sit down and rest yourself and, and come and talk to me. That's what I felt he was saying. And I just thought, no, no, no. I said, I can't have to go on here, you know. <laughs> when I look back, it was silly, but because I was so determined yeah. to complete my mission of repentance, you know, just doing penance for God. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I never meant to offend Jesus, but... <laughs> That's how I felt. Yes. I said, I'm sorry, Jesus, but I have to keep going here. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. Okay. So what did your life look like before Medjugorje? I know that you had some spiritual encounters and mystical things that kind of happened to you. So your mind was open beforehand, but like just what, what kind of drew you into Medjugorje? We're all called there for a reason. What was yours? Yes. I I, I, I do believe I was called for a reason, certainly. Um, Yes, I had some mystical experiences in in my childhood. And now looking back, I do feel that God had somehow, you know, ordained that for me to have those mystical experiences. Because even as a child, you know, when I was in the chapel, you know, I had a great love for Jesus. And I used to want to take the crucifix and take the nails out of his hands. And, you know, mm-hmm. why did they crucify you? And, you know, that, that was the kind of relationship that I had with Jesus. And when I, you know, when I was a teenager, I became rebellious. But then... I went to London and then I remember I went into the church and I remember sitting praying and I just felt this closeness to God. I felt like I burdened everything to him and he would, you know, come back and answer my prayer as in, you know, maybe if I was asking for something, but it didn't happen, something else happened and I'm going, my God, I never thought of that. But, you know, God had obviously taken all that in hand and said, well, this is what you really need, not what you were asking me for. So I was learning quite a bit. But prior to going to Medjugorje, I ended up marrying a man whom I thought I loved at the time. And then he became much more controlling. And I became very, I felt very oppressed. I felt sometimes I couldn't breathe and felt this, you know, if I died, I was afraid to die. It was like, what? And it's like, I'll be in a box and I can't breathe. And it was just this awful thing. But looking back now, I realized it was just a lot of stress of being married to this very controlling man who would constantly roar and shout at me and shout at the children. And I ended up having five children to him. But before I had the fifth child, that's when, uh, after the fourth child, that's when I went to Medjugorje. 
And when I went into Medjugorje and we went to the church every day and prayed and it was beautiful. I was just crying every day. The mass was so beautiful. It was it just felt like nothing out of the ordinary. Not like the, the church here, you know, it was, everybody was singing, you know, the tears would come down your eyes and you're like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. And then um, you go away and you contemplate, you walk the mountain. And then the, the, the first time that I went and I got the experience at Medjugorje, I remember one of our ladies' messages was, oh, you know, Jesus loves you all. And, and it was the first time I ever questioned, you know, well, does Jesus really love me? You know, it, it was just, why would Jesus not love me? And I really felt as though, well, if Jesus came into the room, I would be like a pebble under his sandal because I felt worthless. Mm-hmm. And I came home and contemplated that. And, I, and then it became to become very, Scott Peck talks with this, um, you know, the, 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 the bubbles of consciousness. So this bubbles of consciousness were coming up. The unconscious was coming through my brain. It was like I became aware that my husband was very controlling. And, you know, sometimes we'd get into a fight and I'd get angry and I'd go over and hit him on the the, the chest and say, you don't love me. You love money. You don't love me. And my mother loves money. And then I would talk about my other sister that she she loves money too. And then I would go back and think, where is this coming from? You know, why am I feeling like this? Then my sister said, I thought, God, why can I not understand that? I know you love me, but I can't grasp it. So then my sister said, look, you have to go back. So it was within about three months and I went back and I had to leave my very small children. They were tots at the time, but I reassured them, look, mommy will be back because our lady will look after me. I'll be on the plane and nothing will happen. And so we got there in, in the, the second time. Then that's when the real miracle happened. So, so you, that, you had just gone back for your first trip in 1986. You were only home for three months, but you didn't feel like things in your life were changing. So you were drawn back. Your sister kind of convinced you to go back for the second time. Yeah, she did. In she three convinced me, but I, I, I was meant to go the second time. So when the second time I was there and I met this very spiritual man and yeah. um, he'd been part of my sister's prayer group and um, he was, he was full of the Holy Spirit, but I happened to sit beside him in during mass. I, I sort of had this feeling, you know, I was like, I, I started to cry. And then I didn't know why I was crying. And then somebody says, just go up and take the communion and say to Jesus, help me and heal me, which is what I did do during Eucharistic. And I came back down again and I ran outside and I, and I, and I went down past the church and I sat in, a, in the chair and I cried and cried and then my sister came out and hugged me and she says Noreen she says our mother has kept us from the truth because mummy wasn't a very loving mother you know she didn't know how to show love that wasn't her fault it's just the way that she was brought up so I cried and cried and then I began to realize that some of this worthlessness was coming from the fact that I didn't feel loved by my parents so that was sort of an unraveling, you know, of my sort of my childhood. And then so I, I walked around and I remember going to this little restaurant and I was sitting in a chair and I had the feeling that this spiritual guy was going to find me. And he did. He found me and he sat down at the chair and I was like, how did I predict that? I just knew you were going to find me and come over and chat to me. I'd McCrayon done at that stage. So we walked along. He says, let's go for a walk. So we went along and we were just chatting and we sat down somewhere, some big stone somewhere and the two of us sat there and he, he, he turned and looked at me and his eyes were very beautiful and I could see that there was a lot of, you know, love in his eyes. And then I, being a shy person, I sort of, oh, oh, he's, he's staring at me and maybe he can see all my sins and I looked away. <laughs> 
And then he said to me, no, no, he says, when I look in your eyes, he says, I see a lot of love. You have a lot of love inside of you. And I went, oh, right. Nobody ever said that to me before. And then I looked again. So I had the courage to look into his eyes. And when I looked into his eyes, I saw another pair of eyes. And I recognized that it was Jesus's eyes. So in my head, I said, is that you, Jesus? I asked the question. And he immediately responded because the guy that I was seeing Jesus in didn't know that I, that I was experiencing this. Mm-hmm. It was a separate, you know, I, I can't explain it. It was a mystical experience. So he said, yeah. So in my head, I could hear it was telepathic. In my head, I could hear him saying, yeah, it is me. And I went, oh, so it is you, Jesus. And he went, yeah. And I went, right. And at the same time, I was experiencing this timeless zone. I'd walked into this new dimension. It was like as if I was looking at Jesus' eyes, but he had the dimension that I kind of walked into in my spirit. Mm. And then I was feeling this eternity. And I was going, wow, this is eternity. And Jesus responded again. And he said to me, yeah, this is eternity. He says, I went, oh my God. Yeah, he says, but eternity's for you too, you know. I went, is it? So he said, yes. And I went, oh, my God. I I said, I I really can't believe it. I I just felt so humbled. And then he said to me, Noreen, he says, I have come down in human form to tell you that I love you. And I was just, just wow, because I thought, well, the first time I was there, I thought you didn't love me. And now you're telling me in person, I love you. That really wowed me. I was like, oh, my God. He said, yeah, I'm here to tell you in human form that I love you. And I went, oh, my God. He says, but see, now I, but that, now that I've told you that, I want you now to come up to my level. I didn't really understand what he meant by that. Later on, I did start sort of understand it. So I went, wow. And then the end, it was over like that. So when you and say I, you felt like you experienced eternity, would that be also equivalent to experiencing heaven? Do you feel like you experienced like a moment of heaven kind of talking to him? Yeah, it was a bit, it, yeah, it felt like that because... I knew it was a different dimension, you know, and it was a timeless zone. There was no yeah. time. Everything stood still. And I said to Jesus, wow, is this eternity? And he went, yeah. He says, but it's for you too. I went, all right, okay. <laughs> for you too. Yeah. I was just bowled over with that. And it really. And meanwhile, the gentleman that you were looking into his eyes, he had no recollection. He didn't know what was going on. He just saw well, you kind of, it was just a blink of an eye. Like he didn't even know there was a lapse in time or anything awkward. Yes, because. That, that's what happens. You see, Jesus had ordained that moment. You know, he had ordained it because only Jesus can do that. So it was for me. It wasn't for him. It was done way before, you know what I mean? He, he had all predestined and predestined all of this. Jesus had, I do believe that. And it was to help me to, to heal, you know, the hurts from the past. That had to still do a journey. You know, he still brought me on another journey. And that just kind of filled the void in your heart from then on. It's never been the same. It just filled that void, would you say, in your heart? Oh, never been the same because part of what I've written in in soul language, you know, from my experience of meeting Jesus, that was the one time of experience of a lifetime, you know, which I'm very grateful for. So there was that. You have uh, three books, like I said, we'll provide a link to them. A Soul Language, An Extraordinary, Ordinary Life, and Angel to the Rescue. Is that Angel to the Rescue, but that's, I've I've self-published that. What I'm trying to do is, I have another book called The Lost Angel, which really depicts a guardian angel in heaven. And then he's trying to be come down, it's for children. And he's trying to come down to earth to find his baby and be a guardian angel. So it's really trying to depict 
for children what a guardian angel does and then angel to the rescue is another children's book which is really help to help children and I'm, I'm using the theme always of an angel because you know that the angel comes and explains to the wee girl who's getting bullied this is what you do so he's helping her to overcome the bullying mm-hmm. and giving her advice that comes from my youth work background right so and then I had an experience with a young boy years after Medjugorje in which he saw his guardian angel. And I'll just briefly tell you the story. It's in my book, Extraordinary Life. But he was a very troubled child. He was 13. He was running around the, the, the hostel at the time. I was working in the children's home. And we tried to get him settled. And he was afraid of the door. And then I got him a wee lamp. And my other colleague, youth worker, was in the corridor. He had, because he was a male, he had to protect me because I was in the room on my own. So he had to listen to the conversation. And so the young boy, I managed to get him into the bed. And I said to him, Kyle, you know, you've no need to be afraid. You know, you do have a guardian angel, you know. And he said to me, what? What's that? He'd never even heard of a guardian angel. I said, oh, for goodness sake. I says, they're angels. I said, everybody has a guardian angel. And he goes, now, through this experience, he never asked me what the angel, what an angel looked like. He just said, what do they do? And I went, they protect you as a child and you speak to them and ask them to help you. I says, like, for example, if I'm down in the bedroom and, and somebody breaks in, my guardian angel wakes me up and then my guardian angel runs to your guardian angel to get you to wake up. And then I come and, and I rescue you because the angels have woke both of us up. Oh, I say, right. I says, but you know what, Kyle, see, you land in that bed, you'll be able to see your guardian angel. And I thought he would say it, you know, here in his mind's eye. And I said, just close your eyes and you'll see your guardian angel. So he closed his eyes and then he opened his eyes and he said, no, not saying anything. I says, you're not trying hard enough. He says, you must try harder. I says, I'm telling you now, the next time you close your eyes, just close them very gently and you'll see your guardian angel. And he opened his eyes and he went, I see my guardian angel now knowing you're right. He says, he's standing beside you, but he's a lot taller than you. So the angel had actually manifested itself right beside where I was standing. I says, didn't I tell you you had a guardian angel? He went, yeah, you're right. I says, well, what does he look like? Oh, he says, he's got this um, like longish hair to his shoulders, and he has a ring thing around his head. I said, that's his halo. He says, he's got two wings on his back, and he's got a long gown, and he has a belt in the, in the middle of his waist. And I went, well, there you are. And that was why then I felt inspired to maybe write children's books oh, on the theme yeah. of gardens. Wow. So that's where that came from. That's amazing. Oh, goodness. Okay. Well, getting back to, okay, your second experience in Medjugorje, we saw, witnessed a lot of miracles. Tell yes. So one day, um, every day you could see the sun spinning round and round and round. And sometimes you could see the host coming out from the sun with the cross. And everybody would see that. And you could look at the sun and it wouldn't hurt your eyes. Not like here, if you look at the sun, your eyes would really be sore. And then another day I was walking down, I was walking into the church. And above me, I could see this, like the shape of a moon. And it was a dark purple. And inside the dark purple was a white dove of the Holy Spirit. You know, like a, a winged with a nose, if you can, if you can understand yeah. that. Mm-hmm. It was so dark purple, but the white of the dove you could see, and it was the Holy Spirit. And I was like, oh my God, wow. Then another day, we were standing outside the convent while the, the visionaries were seeing Our Lady. And this particular day, people there was a crowd of people standing outside, and somebody says, oh, look, look up at the clouds. And we all looked up at the clouds, and the clouds were all green. The clouds went from green to blue, then it went from blue to pink to orange to purple, to white, 
yellow, all the colours of the rainbow, the clouds changed all these colours while Our Lady was appearing in the convent. Well, so like faster than a sunset would, it wasn't just, it was just like, like glowing and it just changed colours like that. Yeah, you, so you're looking up the clouds and you could see they're all green. All of them are green. Not some of them, yeah. all of them are green. And then they're all, all of them are green. <laughs> all green. Then when somebody says, oh, look at the colour of it now. So the crowd that was there, everybody saw it. Huh. So then they looked up and everybody says, oh, look, it's pink. And then again, when you seen the whole pink, then you said, oh, my God, there's blue. The colours of the clouds kept changing colour. Wow, like LED. So, and this is all during the apparition. Moment. Yeah, yeah. This is when it was happening inside the chapel, inside the church, just off to the one, no. room, that one small room. There was a convent that she, Our Lady used to appear in a wee small convent back in, the, in, in those days. Oh, I don't and know. then she started to appear to the visionaries in their own homes. But this particular home was just a little small chapel, or not a chapel, a wee small convent at the side of the church. Outside of the church. Oh, I don't know about that one. Huh. So that was, because that was really in the early days, 86, 87. That was the early days, the 80s. Yeah, it was the oh. very early days that there was a convent, and that's where a lady used to meet. Oh. And I had a cousin of mine, that she was there with her child, and the child had you know, a little perforated hole in her kidneys or there was something wrong with her and she was going to have to get an operation. I can't remember if it was Father Slavko at the time, he, he's dead now, but he was allowing certain people to come in while the visionaries was happening and she had the small child, was only like uh, maybe 12, 13 months or 18 months around that age and he allowed my cousin to go in with the child into the operation room and she went in and she says that the child was crying and crying but once our lady appeared and the visionaries went down on their knees her child kept looking over at the at the at, at our lady. She kept looking. She says she never cried. She never. The child couldn't take her eyes off our lady. And then as she came back, when she was finished, as soon as our lady left, the child went back to being all crying and you know. And then she came out. But when she came back home after that, she went to the doctor and the child was completely cured. Praise be to Jesus. Unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She was cured. She didn't have to go for an operation. Nothing. That was your yeah. cousin's daughter. Wow. Yeah. And today she's yeah. getting along today as good as ever. Doesn't well, have. She's, she's healthy. She's never had to go for an operation. She's probably in her twenties now. And mm-hmm. back in the day, she, you know, that was quite a while ago, maybe even older, you know, maybe in her thirties. But mm-hmm. so that was another miracle that happened. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, it was quite a few things, you know, that you were, it was like, Oh my God. It's, but it was so peaceful all the time. You know, you just had this lovely peace. Uh-huh. And then when you went home, you always felt you, you, you felt peaceful for a long time after, you know, that was in the earlier days. So then I, I've, been, I've been there five times. Do you want me to talk about the fifth time? Whatever comes to your mind, yes. Yeah, there was a group of us that we were staying, sharing the same house. We decided that that particular day we were up at what they call the Blue Cross Mountain. You know, mm-hmm. there's a big blue cross and there's two statues of Our Lady, you know, on either side. We got two grottoes. But you walk up the mountain and there's a lovely statue of Our Lady. And it's just a plain white statue that, you know, there's her eyes are blank. There's nothing there. And my daughter and I went up to, to see Our Lady on the Blue Cross Mountain, you know, further on up where she first initially appeared. Right. And uh, that's what they put the statue there in recognition of Our Lady. Sort of went over to the statue and, you know, I sort of felt there was some lovely, like a, a, an aura around the statue, like a, a, a light. Mm. And I thought, there's something there. I don't know what it is. I can't know what this is. And when I looked, I could see, you know, there was, um, she had like a, like a grin on her. She, no, she was 
grinning, you know, like this. And I, I sort of thought, am I, am I the only one that's seeing this? And you, you really felt the presence of a lady. And I said to my daughter, do you, do you feel anything there? And she says, yeah, mommy, our lady's just sort of like having a wee grin, sort of smile. So your daughter also confirmed she saw it too. Yeah, and my sister-in-law saw it as well. And the following day, then the day before we were leaving, I, I said, oh, you know what, we'll go back up to, you know, the Blue Cross Mountain and we'll buy our lady a lovely, lovely little flowers. You know, I bought her a lovely red rose and a yellow and a white rose. And I wanted just to leave it up at her statue. So, so we walked up again and left. It was like as if our lady was so pleased that, you know, that we brought the flowers up for her, you know. Mm-hmm. So again, this time I felt the, the aura around the statue, the, you know, the, 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 like a radiant light, you know, that you can see in your inner eye. So I'm looking up again and I'm staring and I'm going, and the next thing I see this broad smile, you know, she's just got this broad smile. Now this is a statue, like, and I'm like, why am I seeing a broad smile? And you could feel her presence again. And when I looked again, I could see blue eyes. I could see eyes and I could see eyelashes. I could see these eyelashes. And I was just in awe and I went, oh my God, our lady, thank you so much for letting me see you. And, you know, it was like as if she was just so happy to see us and thanking us for the roses, you know, we brought up. So we were just in awe. And then we we, we sort of went down the mountain. Then later on that night, we decided to go back up where the the two grottos were. So we decided to sit at the grotto. Um, There was about six of us so I'm standing up and I'm behind the two girls that were kneeling down and the other girl the other lady she was over at leaning up against the tree so we were praying the rosary and I was praying uh I was offering up my jacket for young people you know and drugs and stuff and out of the blue um because it was kind of going from light to dark you kind of you I would be a skeptical you know and sometimes I have to question what am I saying here I looked over and the statue of our lady the head had completely disappeared and all you could see was the bottom part of her and then I was kind of like rubbing my eyes and going no that can't be you know and then I got this this like a sheet of black went up my face like this Hmm. and I was like what's that what was that and then I I, kind of thought something was trying to get my attention and then I looked around and I thought what was that I looked down at the other grotto see was there somebody down there or what happened there and then I looked further on down to where closely to where the houses are based there at the bottom of the mountain east. Then when I looked closer, even though it was quite dark, I thought I could see, I did, well, I did see a dark figure and I just looked and I went, oh, right. And I, I, and I continued on praying. I went, oh, now I know what happened. It's the devil. And I said, oh my God, right. I says, well, you're not going to stop me from praying. So I'm going to continue to pray. So continue to pray. And then my daughter and my sister-in-law decided they were going to go up the Blue Cross Mountain. They had some torches. So you, you, you had to go across the pathway. When we finished praying, we said, well, we're going down back to our apartment again. And they said, well, we're going to cross over here. Pathway was on our right-hand side. So you went up that pathway. You would have to walk. If you're walking with your shoes, you have to take it easy because you don't know where it's all these stones and everything. It's very Rocky. stodgy. So... As they were walking across the path, they noticed this man. But this man went up the mountain like this. He literally ran up the mountain, which was supernatural because they, that couldn't no ordinary person could ever go up that mountain, you know, without a torch. This guy had no torch. He had nothing. And they thought, oh, right. Um, oh, there's a man way up there. Sure, we're lucky on our own. But as they cl- climbed up the mountain and got closer to where Our Lady's statue was, because they wanted to say goodbye to her before we were traveling back home the next day. 
And when they got there, they said, oh, they looked at our lady and they said, oh, she looks so sad. And they were like, oh, God. And they got the torch and they shone it right around the whole area. And there was nobody, but nobody there. The man had completely disappeared. But now who know who it was. Because that can happen in holy places and probably in particularly in holy places, especially when people are praying. So we all headed down the fields and the, we noticed as we were walking along, we had a good bit to walk to get back to our house was where we were staying. And the moon just seemed to get brighter and brighter and brighter. And we were like, why is that moon getting so bright? But we were looking at, we, were, we could see my daughter and my sister-in-law, the mountains up here, and we could see like a wee glimmer of light. And we're thinking, that moon's going to shine on them and maybe they're going to see, they are going to get down the mountain maybe easier because of the, the moon shone so bright. And then one of the good women, Mary, she said, we stopped anyway, we got so far down the field. And then she turned and she said, oh, lady, why did you not give, I want a wee sign. Would you not give me a wee sign? And I was going, oh, Mary, she said, I never saw nothing. I didn't see anything. And I was going, oh, your lady, I'll give you a wee sign. Don't worry. But I happened to look up at the clouds. And the cloud had actually formated into this big letter I and a big letter U, like this, huge letters. So I turned to the group and I said, girls, am I imagining that? But can you see what's that there? Can you see letters up there? And an I and a U. And I said, well, what doesn't mean anything? What is it? And Grania, the, the youngest girl, she said, oh, but no, not, yes, I and you, but look at what's inside the you. There's a heart. And we all went, oh, my God. Like, it was like Our Lady had formatted the, le- the, the letters to tell us, I love you. This is, this is at just, night in a dark night sky. It lit up like yes. clouds. Yes. Clouds. But the moon lit everything up. Yeah. And the clouds broke into the shape of an I and a you. Yeah. And then the, a heart inside the you. That's just amazing yeah oh it's amazing i don't suppose she got a picture of it <laughs> no no we did we didn't think we were just yeah. so much in awe we were like yeah. oh thank you our lady thank you and mary was all like oh i'm so delighted i got a sign our lady gave me a sign i said oh she would so we came back into the house and we were putting the kettle on and we we're making a cup of tea and loretta who was sitting kneeling down beside the statue of our lady she said to me knowing you know the statue of our lady's head disappeared i said loretta did you see that Yes, it disappeared. And I says, I saw that, but I thought I was imagining it because, you know, of the light and the, you know, everything. And she says, no, no, no. I, I, she says, I witnessed it. I seen it. I says, oh, my God. I says, well, funny enough, when that happened, I said, something came up to my face. and I was trying to get my attention. And I says, and I looked all around and I looked down and I said, I could see a figure of a man, a black, all dressed in black. Then Gronya, who was leaning up against the tree, she came out of the kitchen. She says, oh, indeed, you did see him, she says, Noreen. It was him, all right. I says, why, Gronya, what did you see? She says, I was leaning against the tree. And she says, I looked over at my left-hand side. I saw the figure of a man standing there, all dressed in black. And she says, initially, I thought, oh, he's a, that's a friendly man. But she says, he didn't move, didn't say anything. And then she became afraid. So she said that when she went, she, she put her hand into her handbag to get holy water. And she says the water froze. Unbelievable. Froze. And then we said, oh, my God. So when we put all our stories together, we were thinking, we, we were putting the jigsaw puzzles together because we'd all obviously encountered, because the man that was at her left-hand side had actually circled us and was on my right. And then he was preparing the way. He knew that they were going to mouse it. 
daughter was going up the mountain. So he went in front of them. So we were like, oh my God, it's definitely him. And hopefully they're going to be all right. So they came back and they told us then what happened. The torch fell, the rosary beads fell. They were frightened. They didn't know what was happening. They couldn't see anything. And then we told them what had happened. And they said, well, the man that went in front of us, he just absolutely raced up that mountain. They said, well, it wasn't, that was no ordinary man. So, so when this, was, the lady who had the holy water that froze, was it still frozen yeah. when she got back from that night? No. It no. just was frozen that moment, and she was, but she didn't say anything. She didn't go, oh, my, oh, you guys, look, look, my, my water's frozen. You didn't, she didn't say anything. No, she didn't say anything, but she just says she went to open the bottle, and she couldn't, she couldn't, and she said the water was frozen. But so, you don't forget the devil has supernatural powers too. Yeah. yeah. So he, he wasn't going to allow her to, to take the holy water out because he doesn't like it. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, so when we put all our stories together, we just realized what had really had happened to us all, you know. That's just wild. So that was your yeah. big, that was your fifth trip, your last one that you yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. And then when, whenever I came back from um, Medjugorje, I had some other encounters then when I felt that God was speaking to me in my heart. And, you know, he would say things to me like, you know, I've known you from the beginning of time. And I'd be sitting scratching my head going, what do you mean you know me from the beginning of time? What's this all about? But of course he knows us from the beginning of time. But he, he was still working on me because I had to go through a healing process. So um, some people don't understand what I'm talking about. When you entirely hear God speaking to you, right. and he was entirely speaking to me, and at the same time, he was reminding me of, you know, when you were a baby and then, you know, you didn't feel the love. That was then I would start to cry. So I cried and cried and cried. And, you know, and that was a healing because, you know, sometimes if you don't do a proper cry at the time that you're hurt, it remains with you. Our Lord was starting this process with me and I did a lot of crying. God made me realize that I had anger, resentment and bitterness in my heart. And so I knew then, I said, right, God, Lord, I'm going to have to go to confessions. It was very hard, very difficult. But that was another healing process, which, which was wonderful that, that Jesus had did this too. So I went to the church. It was an open confessions, went up to the priest, said, you know, I'm bitter, I'm angry, I'm angry. And, you know, for my parents, they didn't love me the way I was meant to be loved. And then, you know, the crying started and I walked back to, you know, my, the pew and knelt down and cried and broke my heart for myself as a child. Mm. And then our Lord allowed me an inner vision where he showed me my two parents were sitting in, in two chairs. There were a boy and a girl. There were only seven. And then I understood, oh, my God, it was just like this great revelation. It was like your parents as children didn't receive the love that they were not able to give you because they weren't showing it. It was passed down from generation. Handed down from generations. And in fact, John Bradshaw actually talks about that, you know, in his book, he's written some stuff about that, but I found that later, but this is what God was doing to me. And it was like, as if that was a chain broken. Right. Had to break the chain. Yeah. The chain was broken. So I then said, Thank you, Lord. And I was able to embrace my parents then, and I was able to give them the love they never really had. Wow. So, yeah. So you ended up making amends with your parents and were able to kind of... Well, we, you didn't talk about anything. Right. They weren't open. You didn't talk about it. They would be too embarrassed. Sometimes I'd try and, you know, because they weren't used to hugs. Whereas in Medjugorje, everybody's hugging each other. Everybody's loving each other, you know. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then I just, you know, I tried, you know, with my parents 
one day I tried to hug my mother and she was like, oh, you know, she got very uncomfortable. You know, it's not as if you could openly talk about anything. That's just the way they were. And I just accepted that. But I just loved them for who they were anyway. That's what God wanted me to do. But the chain was broken insofar as I was able to give the love to my children. I was able to hug them, kiss them, tell them how much they loved them. And then one day I was in the, ch- the chapel and I heard our, late, our Lord saying to me, Noreen, I want you to bless the children. And I went, all right, Lord, yes, I, I will bless the children. Yeah, I will. And then it was later on that I had the desire after leaving my husband. I, God helped me to get through that as well. And I wanted to become a youth worker. And then I knew this is what God had designed for me to do, to become a youth worker. Mm. And then through my work, bless children that I was working with. And that's one of your gifts. That's one of your God-given gifts is to be able to work with children and help them, yes. inspire them. God, yes, because God gave me, I don't work with children now, but while I was, I did 22 years, and a lot of my youth work colleagues used to say to me, Noreen, you're very gifted with children. And like, if there was three youth workers in the room, the ch- kids would all be attracted to you. Because then I knew that God has obviously given me the gift mm-hmm. to, to work with kids. You know, somebody once said to me, you can actually see right into their psyche. And I went, uh, yeah, I think I can. <laughs> I think I can. So, yeah. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Amazing sport stories. I can't wait to meet your sister. You're going to have to introduce us. The one who yes. planned these pilgrimages. Yeah, she, she has a hotel. It's called the Drummond Hotel. Okay. And she runs a lot of her pilgrimages from there. So yeah. if you look up the Drummond Hotel, she just must have a million stories, I'm sure. <laughs> she has loads of stories. She yeah. herself got a great Halen in Medjugorje as well. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's just been such a joy uh, listening to all your experiences. I, my final wrap-up question is, for those people who just question the authenticity of Medjugorje, what would you have to say to them? There's too many miracles you know, you you would have to go there yourself. Yeah. As soon as you walk off the bus, you feel the instant peace, and you know this is a little piece of heaven here. It's just unbelievable. I mean, the amount of people that have been cured, healed. I met a man walking up the mountain, and he said to me, "You know, this is my second year here." And I said, "Really?" He says, "Because last year I was doomed to die with cancer." And he says, "I came here and prayed and asked Our Lady to heal me, and she healed me." Yeah. And I'm back, he says, in Thanksgiving. I've heard that so many times. They come back as a way to give thanks and honor. Yeah. Give thanks. There's, and there's lots of people are people that are like from a Muslim background, a Protestant background, that are going there and convert. They convert. Because you, there's, there's nothing else you can do. You, you just, you have to go with the spirit. I mean, it's just, it's and when just you, awesome. When you say convert, they convert in their lives or they convert religions to Catholicism? To Catholicism, yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of them convert to Catholicism, yeah. But and some, I'm not sure about all of the stories because I don't know the statistics, but I would say even someone you know that's from a Protestant background who's a Christian, their faith would be enhanced by feeling Jesus' presence. I think you, you see and believe, and that my children say to me, oh, I don't understand why you believe all this. But then I'm very privileged. I've had the experiences where they didn't. And it's, it's, it's hard for people to, mm-hmm. to, to understand that if you haven't seen anything. Yeah. But like you said, there's just too many stories, too many healings, too many conversions. It's just, you got to at some point say, well, and the fruits, it's just the fruits are all good. 
it's the fruits. It's really, it is really, Shannon. It really is the fruits because for me, the fruits were when I came back. You know, I learned so much about myself. I got healing. I, I was able to forgive, forgive myself, forgive my parents. I was able to get away from my abusive husband because that's not what God wanted for me. He wanted me to go out there, and you know, the the thing that for me working with children was always to show love and to show kindness and you know act for Jesus and just be let them see you know this is if, what your understanding of of love should be that God is a loving God it was a wonderful experience of 22 years working with young people and I just loved every minute of it well you're a guardian angel in true form <laughs> <laughs> yes wow that's just a special story love it all loved it all well I hope everyone else took away from that and uh, like I said I can get them the links on your uh, the Amazon for your books Yes, the, um, the the book, An Extraordinary Ordinary Life, is really about the different experiences that I've had in Medjugorje. And it also depicts my, you know, very uh, abusive marriage. And the reason I wrote that was to help other women who, you know, maybe find themselves in a controlling, abusive relationship that they, they can have the courage to get out and maybe see it as, and understand that it's not a normal marriage. And, but the the other thing more so was the different experiences that I've had spiritually, you know, that God's been walking through my life from a childhood. And, and that was why I, I wrote that down. And so that people can realize that the devil exists and that Jesus exists and Our Lady exists. And so that was why I wrote the book. And the soul language is just a collection of inspirational writings. It's just different little depicts of, you know, like, for example, my little blue flame do not go out because if you do, I surely will shout. Different, there's different little small poems and, and, and prayers in Soul Language Book. Oh, yeah, so. wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I hope to stay in touch with you. Okay. Well, talking. thanks for having me, Shannon. Yes, you bet. God bless. God bless. Have a good night.